Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's February 1st, 2019. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the internet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, today we're starting a little late. Yeah, actually, we're, we're, it's going to be a good show because we're both wide awake now. <laughs> I knew one of these days taking Advil PM was going to kick me in the ass. <laughs> and uh, today was a day. It was like one thirty in the morning, and I just was not going to sleep. I I had a chance at 300 last night bowling, and I blew it. And so I got home. I was all riled up and just couldn't sleep. And so I took I the PMs. and seven, eight Moscow mules to get over the <laughs> I know. I should have done that instead. But, of course, <laughs> I don't know what I'm like as a pass-out drunk. I might have woken up at noon. And then you had a lunch date, so now we're not even getting started to like 3.15 today. This is crazy. On the messages are already starting. Where's the show? Yeah, uh, Is the streak yeah. over? Uh, well, it's nice to be loved, I guess, right? It is nice to be loved, but I'm, I I uh, don't want too much I, love like Negranu has, because then you're, then you're in the you know, limelight. My wife doesn't miss me as much as our fans do. So. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I broke into your segue there, so I'm sorry. So uh, yeah, Daniel Negranu, who uh, is never one to hold back his opinions, as we all know, Started a firestorm in the poker world with a now-deleted tweet in which he said the worst kinds of poker players are winners, slow, quiet, nits, and haters. And those kinds of players do more damage to the game by playing it than if they didn't. After widespread criticism from players who said Daniel was offensive, sanctimonious, and out of touch with the poker world, the Granu apologized for not better stating his point and instead listed positive qualities poker players have. But it did little to quell the outrage, Chris. Yeah, I read this. You know, a little part of me doesn't want to say what I want to say because then I'm going to go through the same crap that Negreanu went through. So, <laughs> but doesn't no, wait, it? Just right. That's what you want to say, right? Doesn't it seem like all of a sudden everyone's turning into a snowflake? I mean, seriously. I mean, first of all, who cares what Daniel Negreanu says? Who cares? Second of all. Even if you do care what he says, at first when I read it, I thought he was just saying those are the worst types of players to play against from his perspective because, one, he doesn't want to lose. Two, he likes to play quickly. Three, he likes to have a good time and talk to people. He doesn't want to be quiet. He doesn't like nits because he wants to get a lot of money in the middle and win a lot of money, and who the hell wants to play with haters? So when I first read it, I was like, yeah, so? But then it was like doing damage to the game and all that, and then I was like, ah, oh, whatever. But, I mean, seriously, people just... Who cares what somebody says? This guy has no effect on my life at all, or your life at all, because of what he wrote on Twitter. Who cares? But they get mad. They get upset. And then they, well, you're damaging the game. You're making us look bad. Ugh, come on. If, if all the stuff that Helmuth does on national TV didn't kill our game, <laughs> this one Twitter thing... It's not going to – I mean, I just sometimes I just don't get it. I can understand about being upset about stuff that can affect your lives or affect the people you love, 
and you're upset by those things, and you want to do something about it. But one guy just says, "Hey, he doesn't like playing with these types of players because they're the, he feels that they're they're doing damage to his game or whatever." Uh, whatever. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, well, a couple things. One, this just reinforces the reason I hate Twitter so much, and, and zero <laughs> time say that. <laughs> other than sending out uh, any up tweets uh, just to get the information out. But uh, it's right because people just go. I mean, it, this is a part of the reason with, with that I hate Twitter is that. Um, people look for reasons to hate people on Twitter, right? Mm. So that that's uh, I, I would imagine that's seventy five percent of the reason people are on Twitter. <laughs> like, who can I hate today? <laughs> oh, yep, Dan O'Donnell. All right. Um, so I agree with you on that. It's that uh, you know if you don't like something, just move on. Now, um, you know you can make the point that Daniel Ground is probably. Uh, one of, if not the most famous poker player on the planet now, right. because of his uh, reach and and his outspokenness. So, uh, to some degree, I can see people that think that we should care about what he says because he has that reach, right? So, mm. I get that part. Um, but um, in, in terms of the actual tweet, I mean, I, I I guess I'm confused about the winners part. I mean, yeah, I hate when I'm at the table and I'm I'm not winning and everybody else is winning. So right. Not, did but i'm like that that's the point of the game right the rest of the stuff is not point of the game so i mean uh, who who doesn't not who doesn't who likes slow players at the table no 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 arms raised all right um <laughs> uh quiet players uh you, when you're going out on a friday night and play some poker and have a couple beers yeah i'd love to sit at a table with a bunch of librarians yeah thank you that's awesome <laughs> Uh, um, it's, uh, yeah, uh, I, mean, I go back to the years ago at Derby Lane when I was playing that stud game and it was like, check, check, check all the way to the end. And then I bet with my two pair and raise, 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 raise. And everybody has boats. I'm like, come on. <laughs> There's not a lot of love for the knit community out there. Right. And as you mentioned, haters, who, uh, no one likes haters. So, although I guess you can call Daniel DeGrano a hater. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the irony of the hater remark. A little irony there. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Um, so I don't know, I, but uh, it, it's it, it's just interesting to watch the reaction. And then he um, and then he tries to to you know clarify it, and I couldn't understand what he was saying when he was I clarifying. Know. They it. lost I'm, me out there. Yeah, it just uh, just didn't seem like um, he, he was helping it in. He was actually flaming, uh, fanning the flames a little bit. I thought there. So maybe he meant whiners and just spelled it wrong. It's <laughs> true. A lot of popular, famous people on Twitter <laughs> spell things wrong all the time. <laughs> so maybe he meant whiners. Oh man, that could be. Uh, now I shouldn't say that everybody's upset at him. There are some people that uh, came to his defense. Some people that uh, I think are for in our camp of you know, hey, hey, he was a little bit misunderstood, but he also probably shouldn't have said it right. So, um, so it's not universal hatred out here, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is not like calling out particular players and saying they're bad for the game or anything like that. It's you know, hey, I mean, now could he have made it more positive, which is what he did in the in the blog post? Absolutely, I always prefer positivity over negativity. But um, I don't know, uh, you know, I hey, the fact that I wasn't on Twitter means I didn't know about this until I was researching the show and found it other places, right? So it, it did not bother me because I didn't see it. So, do you, you remember the show we did from the radio station where you were describing the player that was sitting next to you who smelled so bad? You said he needed to get himself some clean. Yep. Remember that? Yep. Uh, now, does that mean that now all the hygiene challenged 
can uproar and say, hey, we smell because we smell and we don't like to use soaps on our, you know, and they're going to get mad at you for saying that. I mean. Well, you saw the family that got kicked off the plane because they, cause they smelled so bad. Right? They got kicked and off a plane. Like, oh. And then they walked around the airport asking people to smell them. And do we stink? <laughs> <laughs> like, come on, folks. Oh, man. Uh, uh, yeah, no, but yeah, you're right. We, we don't get into a larger discussion about the world now, but it, we, we are seemingly in the softest era of our yeah, history. It does <laughs> seem like that. Very does. So, but we'll see what happens going forward. But I can tell you this one player who's still a fan of Daniel Negreanu is Zachary Butler. A 33 year old Tennessee man has battled a rare genetic disease for most of his life and is now in hospice care. But the Dream Foundation, a nonprofit organization that helps grant wishes of terminally ill adults, has put together a trip to Las Vegas for Butler to meet Negreanu, his favorite poker player. Uh, no word if that was still his favorite poker yeah, player. Yeah, or if they canceled the trip after his Twitter yeah. war. But see, uh, this is what people should be focusing on. Yes. This exactly. is actual stuff that actually matters. Yes. You know, he's doing something here that is important, that is going to give a dying man his ultimate wish, and he's actually physically doing something that is doing, you know what I mean, that is good, that actually takes some effort and is going to change somebody's, uh, you know, life and... and and at least make it that much more pleasant. And it, it's just remarkable that there's not. I'm. I'm. I can guarantee that there's not the same amount of uh, effort put into praising him for this as there was for shooting him down for saying he doesn't like to play with nits. Uh, that's that's a very accurate statement. I would agree <clears throat> absolutely. But, but that's uh, that's the case with everything, right? You yeah. know, you go to a restaurant and um, you have a great meal. You may tell a couple friends about it, but you don't like. You know, ask for the manager to come over and thank him. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, uh, Darwin forbid somebody forgets uh, the spat of butter that you asked for. It's all over Yelp the next day. <laughs> I know. Um, so yeah, that's that's more to the point of all this stuff too. People just like to be negative these days, and um, you know, just don't celebrate the positive stuff here. So. Uh, I don't know. That's human nature, little, right? right? It's it's like uh, Mike McDermott saying, you know what? You can barely recall the big pots. You know, it's not him. He's quoting another guy, but but you can recall with deadly accuracy all of the biggest losses you've had in your life. You know, just yeah. in human nature. Then remember the negative because it hurts so much more than how much it makes you feel good when you win. Well, but, you know? Yeah, but that's a good point. So I mean, I guess I, I'm not going to argue with you or disagree with you on there, but it does seem odd to me because. The highest highs of my life, I still remember very vividly, right? Mm. Uh, um, so I, I think it is a matter of perspective and how you kind of uh, lead your life, whether those positive moments can push out the negative moments or whether uh, the negative moments are the only ones you remember, right? So, I mean, yeah, you're right. It does, you know, it is painful when you have a bad moment and those good moments feel good, but maybe not as great, but... I do think it's part of your your attitude towards life on the degree of that. Yeah. So. Yeah. I we, we, let's not take it any further than that. <laughs> let's, just, <laughs> let's just leave it right there. Um, and I, I'm not disagreeing or agreeing with you. I'm just saying I just I think we've taken that as far as it'll go without making us both cry on the show. So <laughs> we could be happy for the Dream Foundation and those people out there making these yeah. kind of things happen, whether it was uh, meeting poker players or anything else too. So feel good. Feel good stories always have a room on our show. So. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And uh, Chris, we spoke too soon. The World Series of Poker is now finalized the schedule <laughs> for the 50th series. The last new event added is a salute to Warriors starting July 2nd and finishing on Independence Day to honor troops past and present. The $500 bracelet event is open to all players, though. And also the Deep Stack Series returns this year. We knew it would. But this year will include weekly Pot Limit Omaha and Seniors events. So hmm. a little more variety there in those um, small buy-in, big-value tournaments. Um, and when I say big value, I mean, you can win 60000 bucks in some of these things. Yeah, so that's crazy. $230 buy-ins and stuff. And I know a lot of players that go out to the Series just to play these, and, you know, if they – Winning or get a, a couple good scores, and then maybe they'll, they'll shoot for a bracelet. But they're out there just to bring home the bacon, and that's uh, that's where they bring home the bacon from. So yeah, you remember when the World Series first started? Doyle Brunson, those guys, they'd skip all the events because they were just there for the cash games. Now yeah. it's like people go out yeah. there just for the deep stack series stuff. You know, it's sort of obviously evolving, but I'm sure they they go out for the cash games as well. But yeah, it's it's weird that now the World Series will make you go out there for other tournaments. It's 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 crazy. Yeah. How many are out there? It's just amazing. And we've done stories on that before, too, about just how many, like, whether it's our Vegas guy, Rob, or or us uh, in particular, but sometimes we've written stuff about that where it's, like, just amazing how many series are actually going at the same time out there. And they can all survive, and on some days, you can't get in can't any get in. of them. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable some how many people, people are there. there playing, so. yep. Yeah, poker's not dead. I think that's what we talked about. It was like one of those, uh, poker plateaued or the die. It was one of our publishers of columns talking about it saying yeah i don't think it's died look at all these series that have keep, just keep growing and growing and and I, I do wonder when it'll be where they'll say you know everything's just too big let's let's scale back and minimize because you know you have these cycles and all kinds of um you know things in culture where it's just like you know all of a sudden it got too big and now they want to refine things down to let's have a instead of a quantity let's have a quality kind of thing and someday that'll probably happen but right now i don't see it in the near future, it's just every single year they're adding and adding, and and until until they start losing money or until people stop showing up, it's going to keep doing that. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Pretty remarkable. It's a good trend. All right, so this is the last time in the World Series, right? We're not going to hear about it again until July. Until next week. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Any updates? The Silks Poker Room at Tampa Bay Downs will host an Any Up Poker Tour Series February fourth to the tenth. That's right around the corner, featuring six events, including a Seniors, a Monster Stack, and a Bounty, culminating with a five flight two hundred fifty dollar buy in main event. Step satellites for the main start at 25 bucks, and throughout the month of January, which is, uh, oh, yep. if you listen to it today, let me put it up. <laughs> yeah, one more chance. Um, but there's still some chances right up until the 4th, I think. Uh, numerous chances to make it into the main with four satellites and high-hand promotions in every tournament that will award satellite seats or in main event entries. For the full schedule, uh, structures, and other details, go to antiupmagazine.com slash silks. The schedule's been announced for the Annie Up Spring Poker Classic, an Annie Up Poker Tour Series at Hilla River uh, Hotels and Casinos at Viquiva near Phoenix in March, uh, the 23rd to the 31st. The 10 event series features a four flight, $360 buy in main event with a 75K guarantee, uh, the winner of which will appear on the cover of Annie Up Magazine and get an entry into the Annie Up World Championship. Other events include a women's championship, horse, and Omaha 8 as well as team, rebuy, bounty, and six max events, and pending approval, a short deck event. For more info, visit antiatmagazine.com slash River. That's G-I-L-A-R-I-V-E-R. Uh, Scott's going to be one of the celebrity bounties in the 50K Guarantee inaugural Golden Tap Tournament on February 5th that will officially open... 15, what What did I say? What did 15. I say? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it was yeah, blurred 15. There. February 15th. 15th, 1-5. 
uh, open. Uh, you got to help me with this now. Hummel, right? Hummel. Hummel. Hummel's yes. Casino's uh, poker room just outside San Diego. Other bounties include ESPN's Norman Chad. Seems like everywhere you go, Norman's there. Are you I, stalking him or is he stalking I, you? I have no problem with that. I love the guy. <laughs> with either one of those. <laughs> Uh, pro player Tiffany Michelle, local radio host Ben Ann Woods, and one or two more poker celebrities still to be named. Registration begins on February 11th, and daily satellites starting at $65 will run every day that week. For more info, can be found at Hamul Casino SD. That's J A M U L Casino SD dot uh, com. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game. You're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcastandyatmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize, a 30-minute telephone lesson and workbook from Thomas Gallagher Casino Seminars, specializing in poker odds and math at poker911.net. Comes from Isaac Brown. Says, at the river, a player bet and was called. One player said two pair. The other player said aces, meaning a set. As he tabled his cards, he threw them on the table where they were visible, uh, visible, cards showing as they descended, but one of the cards hit a stack of chips and turned over. He said aces immediately and pointed to the dealer to turn it over. The intention was absolutely clear to me that he was trying to table the nuts. The dealer refused to touch the cards, and the floor was ruled, uh, was, the floor ruled it was a mucked hand. Uh, is this correct? Important context. What made this situation unique is that the previous day, a player had a similar event occur, uh, except the player lost and he thought he lost and clearly intended to muck his cards. The dealer flipped over the second card, and when he realized he won, he pretended that he meant to table, uh, which he clearly didn't, and the pot was awarded to him in that case because the other player didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Uh, he's a dealer there, and there were social considerations. However, discussion on this was happening before the incident above, and the consensus was that that hand should have been mucked and the floor should have ruled, uh, not ask the player what he wants to happen. The dealer turned over the other card without consulting the floor immediately. In that situation, it was clear the player intended to muck. Also, there was a follow-up comment that if any of the player's cards touched the community cards when tabled, it's a dead hand. Is that true? So before you read, so basically what we're saying here is the guy had trip aces, or a set of them, he turned his aces over, and when he turned them over, everybody could see he had two aces, but then he went to throw them in to show one of them hit a stack and flipped over. So then only showed a pair of aces, so one was flipped over. And then when he asked the dealer to flip it over, the dealer wouldn't do it, and they called it dead, right? And then, then the floor came over and said it was a mucked hand. Yes. Okay. Way to, way to <laughs> synthesize it there for us. Okay, because I was trying to figure out, as I'm reading it, it's it's not reading clearly to me, and then my eyes are blurring because I don't know why, and then maybe I'm having a stroke, I don't know. <clears throat> but I want to make sure I got the gist of that. So, and then the other thing confused me. The next day, the same kind of thing happened, and they ruled differently. So, yeah. All right, go ahead. Now, now, if you could only summarize Elliot's response. Yeah, this yeah. is going to be long. I'm going to take a sip <laughs> of my soda and relax. We kid, we kid because we love Elliot. <laughs> All right, uh, Elliot says the the player who pointed to the card and said aces could have done two things differently. First. They could have used all of their words and said, give that card back to me or please turn that card over. Second, they could have just gently turned over the cards instead of throwing them in any fashion. PSA number one, don't throw your cards unless you truly want to be, excuse me, to be at the complete mercy of a dealer <laughs> or a floor person. <laughs> I had to take a break there. You had too many beers at lunch, Scott. <laughs> uh, he says, what if uh, during... You're throwing at the cards when the cards landed in the muck and was irretrievably mixed in with the discards. Was showing up 
the other player proving what a great player you were by shrewdly and skillfully getting dealt aces worth the risk of losing the pot by accident. The dealer treating the card like a biohazard was pretty silly, but the floor ruled incorrectly. The standard for cards to be returned to the player is, are the cards identifiable and retrievable? In this case, they were most definitely both. Plus, the player was announcing his cards. The card that turned face down after hitting the chip should have been returned to the player by the floor person so that player could turn over the card and have their complete hand read by the dealer. Having the player turn their own card over prevents uh, the violation of one player to a hand, as happened in the situation mentioned for context. PSA number two. Cards that merely come into incidental contact with other cards, chips, the board, <clears throat> etc. are not automatically declared dead. The concept of death by contact is basically defunct and should not be the standard using casinos and card rooms. In the situation uh, meant to provide context for the dealer not doing their job in the primary situation, a lot of description and opinion was offered but not enough facts. If it was so clear the player went to muck and pretended that he meant the table, which he clearly didn't, why did one card getting turned over by the dealer make that a winning hand? We have to assume that the other card was already face up. Why was that? Dealers absolutely should not be in the business of turning cards over, but almost none will turn a card over if the other card is also face down. So both cards were sent into the dealer and the dealer turned one over. Then the floor was called and the floor allowed the player to decide what they ultimately wanted to have happen with the hand. On the surface, that sounds horribly wrong. I'm not sure that this is the case. Try as you might, I'm, I'm just not convinced that the player intended to muck. The dealer should have called the floor over and explained what happened, but once the chips are in the pot, most rulings will lean towards getting the pot to the best hand. Technicalities be damned. If we killed every hand in this type of situation, would this prevent the dealer or other players from turning their hands over, uh, turning over hands that show down the players they dislike in order to have those hands declared dead? I could keep going on this, but Chris and Scott can handle the what-ifs on the podcast. I will end with this. Well, sometimes the four-person's job to interpret actions. It is never their job to determine what a player is thinking. When actions conflict with evidence, the ruling will often end up being a judgment call. Furthermore, in order to word the pot to someone not holding the best hand, the evidence should be quite compelling. Yeah, don't throw your cards. You know? I mean, remember Lance threw cards? And- these issues <laughs> would be resolved with people just... Not being showboats, right? Yep. I mean, most of the time, it should just be the reason why you need to call a floor is because something happened that was out of the ordinary with, like, you know, cards being shuffled or, you know, the machine doing something or a card being shown. Or, But to throw your cards, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, Lance hit a dealer at – remember Lance? Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> hit a dealer in the head. <laughs> With a card, I mean, you get thrown out for stuff like that. It's just ridiculous. Um, but that's all I take away from this: is just stop throwing your cards, you know. And I think that, that he's right. The the floor ruled wrong on the initial story we were told. Clearly, that's that, that card is retrievable and is sitting over there, and he's saying what his hand is. You need to turn his card over. There's no reason and he needs to be able to let the turn the card over, or the floor needs to turn it over. Whoever needs, someone needs to turn it over. Uh, even he gets up and walks over there and turns it over himself. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's another um, evidence of people reading rules but not understanding rules, right? Yeah. So this 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 not a trend anymore. I think it's it's ebbing a little bit. But this feeling that uh, cards touch this or they cross this line or that, and they're dead or they're in and all that, and those rules are there to help you know, make the game uniform, uh, but they're not there to um, uh, to kill the rightful hands from winning the pot when it can be awarded that way. So, 
you know, this, you know, oh, that card can't be turned over. Or, oh, it, it hit that, so it's dead. I'm like, geez. I mean, I, I just – I don't want to live in that world that some of these people live in where where every possible thing that could go wrong ends up in a dead hand. Um, yeah, technicalities aren't the way you should win hands. Yeah, and, and what kind of player are you if that's the way you want to win? Now, I mean, again, if people keep abusing things, then that's a different story. That's a conversation for Florida to have with a player – to tell them, you know, hey, you know, every time I come over here, it's for you. <laughs> There's something <laughs> yeah. wrong. And yep. I am bring the pot to you because it should go to you, but maybe you need to like rethink how you do this stuff. So, and then called over. But um, if I didn't win a hand, I don't want the pot. Um, even if my opponent did something, uh, certainly accidentally, um, or even on purpose that was not meant uh, for them to not get the pot. So, yeah. If we all had that mentality, I think uh, a lot of these decisions would be a lot easier. Uh, we're going to learn what O'Malley's move was today. We're going to recall this crazy pineapple hands first part, and then we'll meet you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are playing a different game than usual. We are seated in a 25 cent, 50 cent, no limit, crazy pineapple home game. So we have an extensive history with most of these players. Most of the table bought in for $100. The game has been going for roughly two hours, and we've made a profit of $10. We sit with 110. The table is eight-handed. It's been pretty action-rich, and there are a lot of shoves after the flop, both from Stone Cold Nut hands and Stone Cold Bluff hands. The blinds post, under the gun calls. MP raises to $2, the standard raise for this table, the hijack calls, and we look down in the cutoff at the queen of clubs, ten of clubs, ten of hearts. The MP is a solid player. He started the hand with 127. This raise probably isn't a speculative one. I'm guessing he has a pretty strong hand. But we've got a decent hand, too, with a lot of flop potential. The plan I'm going with is to call the $2 and then either flop big or fold. We call. The button folds, as does the small blind, but the big blind and under-the-gun call. The pot is roughly $10, and the flop hits us hard. The jack of clubs, ten of spades, nine of clubs comes down. The under-the-gun checks. This player is inexperienced and loves setting what he thinks are traps. More often than not, his hand is not nearly as strong as he thinks it is, and his opponents end up drawing out on him because of his trap plays. He is the big stack at the table with 137. The MP makes a pot-sized bet of $10 and the hijack folds. I'm not going to mess around here. I'm sticking with my made hand and I'm raising to push out as many people as I can and hopefully get heads up. We make it $30 to go. The big blind folds, but the under the gun shoves all in for 125 more and the MP snap calls his remaining 115. So, the main pot stands at around 270. And we have to call off our remaining 78 to have a chance at that. We're getting roughly 3.4 to 1 on our money. Did we just step in it here? So, are we calling? And if so, what card are we pitching? Are we keeping our set or our open-ended straight flush drop? What's the move? First of all, this is why I love Crazy Pineapple, right? (laughs) You don't love it. I do. I love it. Uh, Now, this is a horrible decision, I think. But uh, but I'm not throwing away an open-ended straight flush draw in a monster pot 
Um, and obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, maybe not everybody agrees with me, but I no longer think uh, our set of 10s are good based on the action after we acted. Uh, so I'm calling and I'm pitching the 10 of hearts. Uh, if I think about it carefully, we're likely up against a mage straight and a nut flush draw. So if that's the case, then I, I think we have to hit the straight flush to win if we pitch a 10 of hearts. Um, if I have a history with these players and I believe one of them uh, would play a draw this way, then I keep both 10s and call. So it just depends, really depends on what these people are like that I'm playing with. It's a home game, so I would know. So I would do either or of those. But in what I've been told right now, I'm I'm probably I'm probably pitching the ten and and whatever. But it, it just based on if I knew something else about these players, I might keep it and go for the boat. But because uh, I think we're we're behind. Um, but all right, let's see what happens. Here comes part two. Hello again. We call. The odds are just too good for me to fold this one. My main issue now is which card to get rid of. If this was against a single opponent, it would have been a much easier decision. However, I feel like I could be up against a set of jacks and possibly even a made straight. I'm just hoping there aren't too many clubs gone, if that's the case. Perhaps folding was the correct and easier option, but I feel like I'm in too deep now. The end of the gun and MP pitch their discards pretty quickly, and we agonize for quite a while before pitching the Ten of Hearts. The under the gun turns over the jack of spades, jack of hearts. The MP tables the king of clubs, queen of spades, informing the rest of us he pitched the queen of hearts. Yikes. We need a club, but not a club club. Unless one of them is the eight. The turn nearly sinks us as the jack of diamonds gives the under the gun quads. I don't even remember what came on the river, just that it wasn't the eight of clubs. The Under the Gun rakes in a huge pot, and we're left wondering how bad we played this and reaching back into our pocket. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, sometimes coolers happen. Is that what this was? I hope to see you on the felt. All right, well, definitely two hands I figured we could be up against, and uh, I still liked our position with that much money in the pot. Um, we can't win them all, though. Ugh. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> I mean, you're, even if you kept the 10, I mean, you're basically drawn to one out. Or, or the whatever the straight flush and the, it's just uh, it's hard it's hard to uh, hard to swallow but yeah you're right you can't win them all so well and yeah. think about this had you kept the tens and turned over your hand it wouldn't have been until I mean you it wouldn't have been to the turn that you got upset right yeah yeah <laughs> you would have been like oh man because you're really you're down to two outs at that point um, you know the way we played it we had a lot of outs and of course the turn crippled all but one of them <laughs> but. But, you know, you're not going to run into quads on the turn very often in this game, so I'm not going right. to let that get too upset. But uh, Yeah, what do you do? You win some, you lose some. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, it a Sopranos uh, marathon. That's all they say. Over there. What are you going to do? Uh, they're making a Sopranos movie now, aren't they? Uh, well, I don't know. And I guess, uh, was it Gandolfini's son is going to play a young Tony or something? That's what I heard. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, I, read, I read it somewhere, I think, on IMDb or something, so check that out. <laughs> Hey, what are you going to do? <laughs> this is Daniel Negreanu of FullContactPoker.com. You're listening to Anti-Up. All right, it's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands for situations to podcast at AndyUpMagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Todd McGee is back with us this week, Chris. All right. And, uh, boy, I hope it's not a short deck hand, because we really mangled that last thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, he says, this hand occurred during my first ever World Series of Poker Circuit event, 
at Harris Cherokee in the fall of 2015. All right. It's a little oldie but goodie here. Wow. The tournament featured 10,000 starting stacks and 30-minute levels. Uh, we were in the fourth level, um, and we had 200 big blinds. Um, uh, my stack had dwindled to 8,100. I was in the cutoff. Uh, let's see. Uh, the undergun race is to 500. Undergun plus one raises to 1,000. Undergun plus two and three both call. Hijack folds. And again, we are in the cutoff with pocket tens. Ah, Dan Negreanu's hand. <laughs> Not his hand that he likes to play, but the hand he uh, so famously said were just tens on our show. It's a Dan Negreanu show today. And uh, with uh, O'Malley, O'Malley had pocket tens as well, too. Yeah, this is uh, crazy. Um, all right, so here's the deal. Uh, I like to just set mine here if I think I can get away with it. It's not. It's it's a pretty decent amount of our stack, but it's not enough where I'm gonna. It's a little more than ten percent, which you know. But if if I can with all these guys in here, if, if they don't re-raise, if the another gun guy doesn't go crazy, uh, and pop it or shove, then you got a decent amount of money to 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 warrant a call here. And if you somehow flop a set. You know, and you're up against kings or aces or something, and you're, you know, you're the underset. Um, that'd be awesome. And by that I meant if you're a set of tens, and then the highest card on the board is under their pocket kings or something. So, I think it's warning a call here. I really do. I, I'm not going to re-raise because when you see a race run of the gun, and then the next guy re-raises, you're not re-re-raising there unless you really know that these guys are just one guy's a showboat, one's a squeezer. You know, and the other guys are just, you know, passive. Uh, other than that, and you'd have to really know these players. And since you're at a circuit event, I'm I'm sure you don't. So I'm going to just call here and hope that the under the gun just calls and we got enough money in the middle to try to, to break off a, a set here and, and take down a big pot. Yeah, the, the only risk here, I think, is that the under gun is going to repop it here. And uh, if he does, there's no, we can't continue at this point. Um, so, you know, the 10% rule is a – it's not in concrete. It's not stone, right? right. So um, it's a very good guide, and it should guide you in a lot of situations. But in this situation, there's a lot of money in this pot already, right? Right. So, you know, you're right. You know, I'm willing to, to wager a thousand, a little bit more than 10% of my stack here to see a flop with all that money in there and all these people because this is when you really get paid off on sets. Um, and uh, I'm willing to do that risk that the other gun's not going to raise us, uh, re raise here. Now, the gun's sitting on aces, then he's going to probably shove at this point or raise big. And I mean, anything he does there, we're, we're out. I, you know, I don't think we can continue if he. Uh, re-raise but uh it's a thousand chip gamble i think that i'm i'm willing to make here yeah the scary thing would be is if you did make the call and you get to the flop and it comes all unders to your tens now you're scared because you got the over pair but they could easily have a pair bigger than yours right you know or if it comes a set of tens but you're like middle set you know where it comes like jack or king ten well even at that point i'm willing to go out of the tournament on on a set set. yeah on uh now i know that Sounds a little odd because it's um, almost the same thing, but um, but but I'd be happy. Uh, I well, I would be happy obviously to go out. But you wouldn't be but mad I, if you went out with set. Uh, getting eliminated if I flop the set here because that's exactly what I want to do against against all these hands. So, right. um, 
All right. Um, he says, uh, the woman to my left had just lost a big pot and had slightly more than 2,000 in chips. Steam was still pouring out of her ears, and I was concerned she would shove and reopen the bedding for under the gun plus one, or uh, or that uh, under the gun dude might also re-raise. I really didn't want to waste 1,000 of my chips and get re-raised and have the possibility of being forced all in in a multi-way pot with pocket tens. I thought it over and eventually decided to call and hope for the best. Now, I'll pause here and say that's a little bit of really important information. Yeah, now, right? yeah. Because at that point, uh, if I've got 2,000 in chips and there are well, four callers already, um, plus an under-the-gun that raised... There's not a lot of hands I'm throwing away there, I don't think. Uh, you talking about the lady still? Yeah. Yeah, the only thing here is a lot of times when people are steaming and they, they shove on the next hand, they shove on the next hand because they have, like, two big blinds. And this woman still has ten big blinds. She still has, And when she has all of these players in the hand, she's not going to get them to fold. Now, she might say, oh, this is where I'm going to get the most bang for my buck if I shove here, but she's not going to get anybody to fold for a 1,000. You know what I mean? More. And no, so, I don't think you want to either. I think you. Yeah, want, I think you want to call want everybody in this and just hope that your nine tray or whatever. Yeah, it's big. Hand you have wins. Um, you know, I think that's a concept that people forget all the time when they're when they're getting shortened chips. They keep waiting for these big hands, and you know, a random hand versus a random hand is not too bad when there's a lot of money involved, right? So, right. um, yeah, I think now now knowing that, um, I, I might have to pitch my tens here and uh, just wait for another situation because now we've added two levels of fear. Uh, the fear that we are willing to accept that the end of the gun might re-raise, um, but we felt a little mitigated on that because of the number of callers, I think. Um, but now with this woman with 2,000, I could very easily see her um shipping that in there and we're not going to call that 2000 even if it doesn't get raised after after that i don't think so um yeah I, it's, it's tough to throw away a pocket pair um plus a high uh you know high middle pocket pair but um th- there's too many danger signs now that that's one too many danger signs for me that i didn't know about before yeah i don't know i don't like to read people's minds either and like i said she still has 10 big blinds so she may not just throw it in the middle because she's upset about a hand you know i mean that's 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 way too many ifs and way too many you know psychic readings to for me to fold a hand like this this quality of a hand with the odds and the money i'm getting for him if, if she shipped it for two and then the under the gun re-raise that's one thing but if she shipped it and then he calls for two and the other guys all call now i'm getting huge odds on two grand and i still have six thousand left you know, which is a lot of big blinds when it's yes. 200. Yep. There's no way I'm folding my 10s. It's just whether or not I was going to re-raise or not, and I wasn't going to re-raise. Too many people were involved. But, yeah, no matter what she did, I don't think I'd go anywhere. The only way i do anything is if I know that when she does it, the under the gun's going to pop it to, like, 30 grand or something, then I know I can't risk my whole stack on 10s. But in this case, I'm I'm going to call still. Yeah, and I kind of want to go back to. I mean, I I, I probably dismissed very quickly um, shoving here. Um, I think that kind of warrants some discussion. I mean, we have an under the gun razor, uh, which should indicate a pretty strong hand, and then a re a min re raise, which should also indicate a, a strong hand. But then we got a lot of dead money after that. So, you know, if we're up against like an ace king, I would really be willing to take the coin flip here for a lot of dead money. Um, uh, the problem, though, is if we're up against aces, kings, queens, or jacks. Well, but here's I, a, here's the thing that subbing there. I mean, I now, did. You add in the two thousand chip woman after that, and I think that still affects my 
my decision, so I win them. I mean, I, I I figured I mentioned before that you know unless I really know that the under the gun razor is just somebody who likes to speculate, you know, and and then the other guy just likes to squeeze, you know, I I really don't I don't think of that as a, a problem here. I mean, it, if the under the gun had a true hand and he shoves, well, all right, then you took a shot and you lose your grand. But to me, it just seems like even she does ship. Now you're going to get your answer if he doesn't come way over the top, the under the gun razor. Then and he just call. And I mean, so either way, you're getting your answer. I, I just, I don't know. I, I I think that that raise was kind of suspect. That 500 raise, you know. What I mean, okay, two and a half from under the gun. I don't know. That's just. I mean, I guess that's some standard full tilt poker book that they would say that a lot of people do that, but. Um, and then the, the re-raise, the min-raise makes sense to me because now it's a 1,000. Now it's enough to get the rest of the table to fold, and he doesn't have to risk that much to do it. Um, but at the same time, you're thinking, well, how strong is his hand if he only made it a 1,000? So there's a lot of weirdness going on in, this, in these raises and then calls too. Like, I mean, I don't know what their stacks are. All these people called. That's the other thing is I didn't know stack sizes either going in. We need yeah, more information. Yeah, that's true. That, that would uh, that would be important information. And it's I hard. To, I, can, I can't expect them to remember everything from 2015. No, yeah. But you're right. If at the table you would have that information, that would be things that would add to the consideration of yeah. what we're doing. So. But I still think taking a flyer on this is worth it, regardless of what this lady's going to do and what the other guys are going to do. If I lose a thousand, like I said, I still have seventy one hundred, and yep. there's two hundred for big blinds, so I got plenty of play left. Um, you know, I'm only three thousand for my starting stack down. You know, and we're still in what like the second, fourth level. I mean, so I think I think I think it's worth a call. I'm going to call. All right. Uh, here it says, I thought it over and eventually decided to call and hope for the best. The button, small blind, and big blind all folded, and the under gun just called, so my fears were unfounded, and five go to the flop with 5,300 in the pot. Well, that That's was good. Cool. We just spent 40 minutes talking about something that didn't happen. Yeah, but you have to. You have to talk <laughs> no, about I, it. I, right? I, but, I, yeah, you're right. It, it was, it, and it seemed pretty standard. Um, but, yeah, so, that, so we're five-handed. Five That's what you want when you have tens. Oh you yeah, know. yeah. This is this is a nice situation, and then 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 our 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 flop post flop play is pretty well defined for us, I think, at this point now. So, you know, if we hit our set, then we're going to the mat with it. Uh, with their overcards, I'm getting out of the way. Um, the only real trouble part, as you already mentioned, is if it's three unders. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> and just caution. That's all. Um, all right, the flop was a dream. Ten eight four rainbow. Uh, the other gun player checks. Under gun plus one throws in a 5,000K chip and calls out five. Before the next player can act, the dealer says the bet is for 500 and not 5,000 because the dude didn't clarify. Always got to clarify. Mm. There's a big discussion at the last TDA summit about this, you know. Can't just say five. Yep. You know? <clears throat> yeah. Amb- ambiguity uh, will always falter to the lower denomination. It doesn't it doesn't take a lot more out of your life to say five hundred or five thousand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, under the gun plus one gets upset and calls for the floor. We wait for the floor to come over and he backs up the dealer, signing a variant of the oversized chip rule that if a player throws in one chip and his announcement can be interpreted in multiple ways, it must be interpreted as going with the smallest legal bet. Uh, since five hundred was a legal bet, the dealer made the right decision. After that gets settled, the next two guys call. And now it's on us. Yeah, I can't call. Uh, we're just giving them way too many outs, you know. It, 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 here's the deal. Even if you're not talking about hitting a, a straight here, 
because who's really playing Jack Nine in all this situation or right. Seven Nine or? But the the problem is that you're giving them outs to hit the over pair on the next street or to pick up a really big draw where they can't get away for a really cheap price, you have to raise here. Um, I don't think it puts your hand uh, face up either by raising. You could just be saying, you don't believe anybody and you're making a play. You could be saying, well, I have ace-10, you know, and they have jack-jack. They're still going to call you. You know what I mean? They still think your hand's good. So I I don't think that... I know what you're hoping for is that if, if it got back to somebody who wanted to raise or something, um, you know, but I would want to raise here and say the guy who wanted to bet five grand now shoves on me. That's what you're really hoping for. The other oh, guy, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, I think that's a real possibility here. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm thinking is, you know, 3X would be 1500 you got a couple of callers in there, so maybe two grand. It's not 50% of your stack, so that's plenty enough that where you can still just make that bet without having to shove. And now the guy's like, oh, I want to make it five. This guy made it two. Well, now I'm going to make it – I'm going to shove because my kings are good or whatever it is. So um, you got to make yeah, it enough I for – I think, yeah, that's the sweet spot we got to we gotta hit here because yeah. we – obviously the undergun plus one meant to bet a lot there, right? Yeah. So now I don't think it's possible he's trying to buy the pot and now his 500 <laughs> didn't work, right? So right. – but if he has a real uh, – he has a really big hand here, I would rather have him be the – the super aggressor here. So we want to give enough here to raise and then let him be the one that, that shoves everybody else out. And that's fine with me, but there's a lot of money in this pot right now. When we have 81 to start with, yeah, there's 5,300 in the, uh, before it. And now we've got, uh, uh, well, I guess it's just, uh, 500. Did anybody call us? I got lost here. Let's see. You said under the gun. Oh yeah. Next guy. Yeah. So next guy calls us at least a thousand. So you're at 6,300 already. Yeah. <clears throat> If you're I mean, only if you're only 70, calling, right? yeah. I mean, we can double up here if we win this pot with no more money in there, which is nice. And if we get more, that's even better. So yeah, I, you absolutely have to raise here. So yeah. Um, all right. Uh, here it says I can't figure out if I should raise uh, to give the initial guy, which I figure uh, has to have pocket jacks or higher, a chance to re-raise to five thousand, or just call and try to build a pot. Eventually, I decided to slow play and call. You know, anytime we decide to slow play, it's like the prevent defense in football, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. The only thing it prevents you from is winning. Right? <laughs> um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I just – the slow play is – I don't I don't slow play a lot at all. I don't know. Do, do you? Not really, I, unless I have it crippled. If it was 10-10-4, that's yes, one thing. Exactly. But you yeah. don't have this, this crippled. You know, you're literally giving – what if you're up against Jack's – kings and queens for somehow just some weird way now you're giving them all two outs each to turn a bigger set than you or you never know somebody could be doing something crazy like jack nine or something but even so what if they had something like uh king queen and then a jack comes on the turn now you've had a chance for jacks to hit a set and now an open and a straight draw i mean there are a lot of things there that you're helping out and then what if it gave two spades on the board and now you've given somebody who had two spades you know what i mean so you just for a, such a cheap price such a cheap price you're giving them a chance to now draw out on you you know and it's one thing for getting value out of hands another thing to to let other people catch up and then take it from you you know i really think you need to bet here well and the other thing too is we have reason to believe that there are some good hands out here and good hands aren't going to fold here right yeah so, that's true too you know again like i said it's possible this guy was just trying to buy the pot with five thousand, but more likely than not, he has a good hand, and he's going to continue with us. So that's more money we're bringing in the pot when we have the best of it. 
And uh, we have a couple other callers that haven't seemed scared. I mean, they haven't re-raised. Well, the one re No, uh, they haven't. Yeah, they're both callers before. But um, so it's a possibility of getting more money out of them now, too. I mean, why would we not want to get more money out of a situation where we have the absolute best hand right now? Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, down to the gun fold. So now there are four to the turn with 7,300 in the pot. Turn is the deuce of spades, putting two spades on the board, which is 10, 8, 4. Deuce. Under the gun plus one checks, as do the next two guys. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, the, the deuce doesn't help anybody. There's no way somebody's in this with two deuces. Um, and even if they did, you know, we're still ahead, and uh, they probably would have bet them. So, um spades kind of makes you want to bet too so i want to get that money in there now i'm not going to waste a street um so i don't know we said there was 73 and i'd bet probably half the pot maybe three grand at this point i mean we are well, we put 500 on that one and we put in a thousand preflop right yeah so, so we have 60 something left so yeah i mean we have less in the pot there i mean i'm i'm shoving it now i think I don't know. I don't want to scare anybody off either. I, I want to get someone to call. I want somebody with an overpair to call. I, I'd well, like to bet. Sure it, would scare. it could scare. It could also look like we're trying to buy the pot now, too. I mean, we didn't raise like we wanted to on the turn, right? We just called. So we're the last to act here when everybody else checks. That kind of looks like a steal move, right? I think there's some – we could play that perception a little bit. So you think somebody, if we shoved, would think that we're just trying to steal it at this point, and they would call with their jack jacks well, or something? Yeah, we're talking with three three players that seem to like their hands, right? Yeah. One seemed to like it enough to bet five thousand and didn't, and then two others that have been stone called calling all the way. Um, now the fact that everybody started trying to check here is really odd, I guess, in that sense. But. Um, I, I I think it's worth the try. And again, if we take seventy three hundred out of this pot right now, we've almost doubled up. So if everybody drops now, I'm not too worried about. It. I mean, going back to what you said, what happens if an ace king or a queen comes uh, or jack mm-hmm. on the river? We would we would get those stacks right now if we shove because it's an overpair, right? I think. But I don't want to give them a free shot at, at catching up to us, so. Uh, so if we bet half of what we have, somebody could have backed into some kind of spades. I mean, I'm trying to figure out what it could have been, but I'm like, you know, (coughs) at this point, you know, if we were sitting on a really deep stack, it'd be a different story, but it makes it really easy for us to shove here and also look like we're stealing. Um, so I, I think there's a chance if we shove here that one of these three players is going to call. Hmm. And if we bet half, we have about three grand left, which is still fifteen big blinds. Yeah, I mean half. It might be, <clears throat> might be better, but then it, it kind of looks like, you know, why why we left that bus fare behind? You know, funny to say that three thousand is bus fare, but you know, at this point, you know, when when there's more in the pot than you have in your stack, it seems like that's an easy shove in any situation, you know, whether we have it here or not. So. I just wonder, you've got a fantastic board for your hand. Shoving could get everybody to fold, whereas three grand might get them to try to say, hey, my jacks are probably still good. This guy got ace 10. You know, if I shove, now that's a big decision for a lot of people. If we just started with 10, 10 grand, then we're only in level four, there aren't that many guys at this table probably are at 30 guess, or 30 maybe grand. 2,000 here, it seems a small. I mean, that's less than a third of the pot, right? But 
You're right. Maybe we pick up a couple extra calls there. Um, yeah, I just want to get value for this hand. I don't want to lose out. I mean, I realize we got one. We only have one street left. To not picking up something else on the river, they either have to hit the flush, you know, if they have it, or they have to turn a two outer, or river a two outer. I mean, so I don't know. I, I need to bet something. You're right. Shoving is probably a good call too. It's just I I got to bet something. I want to get some money out of this. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Got to bet something. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna bet three three grand. All right, uh, let's see. Uh, our hero says, by now I'm committed to this pot, so I decided to bet about half my remaining stack and put in 3500 Okay. Mm. Under the gun plus one calls, under the gun plus two folds, and under the gun plus three calls. We got two callers of that, so, hmm. all right. So one seems like it's an over pair, and one seems like it's a spade draw now. Yeah. Right? All right. Um, all right, uh, the pot is up to uh, seventeen thousand eight hundred, and we're down to three thousand. The river's the four spades, putting three spades on the board. Uh, Ten, eight, four, deuce four, and of course we have the boat. Uh, undergun plus one checks again. Undergun plus three shoves. Pretty easy here, right? Yeah. Uh, we call on a gun plus one, slams his cards into the muck. <laughs> uh, and walks away muttering under his breath. If a dog had been lying anywhere in the vicinity, I'm pretty sure he would have kicked it. <laughs> Under the gun plus three flips over the ace queen of spades for a flush, and I scoop the pot with my full boat. He says, I think I squeeze maximum value from this hand, but I was also close to folding preflop and probably would have folded to another raise. Well, the interesting uh, thing is that he keeps the ace queen around by just calling the 500 bet. If he had raised when we said to raise, ace queen probably that's goes probably away. True. That's probably true. Yeah. Yep. So you got, I think you oh, got yeah. max, right? That's a good point. I want to go back to the turn here. So if we would have shoved, we probably would have pushed the ace queen out too, right? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, he's now got the nut flush overs, drawing right? two overs. Yeah. And plus, we don't know how much that guy had. He shoved and we called. He could have had still 20 grand left. We don't even know what the yeah, guy's stack was. So I, I can't make that decision. It probably would have worked out either way. So. Yeah. I think you probably get the same amount of money no matter how you play it. But you might have. Because if you had raised, none of the gun guy who was mad, who wanted to bet five grand, might have shoved on you and you might have made the same amount of money off of one player. Um, but. Because uh, not like he had anything better than you did. You had top boat, so yeah, that's actually a good point. We did get two calls on there, right? So yeah. rather than just the one, hmm. huh. yeah. Well, although the other guy seemed really upset that the spade got there, so he might have called too. Huh. He probably had an overpair, right? Yeah, maybe that's that's what I'm saying. It seemed like there was an overpair and a flush draw, and then maybe somebody with something like I mean, I guess you could have had a set of eights too, Ace King but... or something. But, but it's, no, a set of eights wouldn't have folded. There's no way a set of eights goes yeah. away. Yeah, so it wouldn't have to be an overpair. Yeah. yeah. So, huh. interesting hand. It's it's hard to uh, remember all those details from four years ago, but uh, you did pretty good. Next time, remember stack sizes. Write them down and say you're going to use them <laughs> in the show four years from now. <laughs> way to go, Todd. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Lock. We'll see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.